Well, if you're like me, you don't always like to look like deep down into the core of your being and ask what's there. Uh, I just kind of like to go through life and I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm introspective on the fly, but I don't like stop and go, what's really in there, you know? I mean, what's inside? What's driving me? What's driving these decisions? I try to make good decisions. I try to do the right things. I, I try to be a person that follows Jesus and, you know, lives out what he's given us in the word of God. But I'm not like a big like, ooh, what made me do this today kind of guy, you know? It's like, what did I do? But not what made me do this type of thing. And I think I think today's sermon is going to force us, hopefully all of us, to, to kind of ask that question, like what, what is in the core of my being? In this series, we're talking about our identities, and we've, we've kind of said that a lot of our identities are wrapped up in these things that we're calling our identity idols, uh, and, and that's an acronym, uh, your items, your duties, others, your longings, and your sufferings. And a lot of times, if you were to fill in this, this kind of blank, uh, I am, and then blank, you would fill that in with the items that are in your life. I am a car guy, you know, like, I, I'm not, that was just a hypothetical, but I am a car guy. Uh, you would fill it in with, like, I have this job, your duties. Uh, you would fill it in with, like, well, I'm not that likable because of what people say about me. Oh, I'm somebody that someday is going to retire in Hawaii, or I, I'm, I am a person who, you know, is, is just, I come from a very bad family, your sufferings, you know. And so we fill in this blank, but a lot of times we fill it in with, with kind of the outside stuff, And this week I was meeting with somebody and we're going through a book together. And when I say we're going through a book together, he kind of reads the book and then he tells me what it says. It's a great way to go through a book with somebody. Uh, And and in the chapter he read this week, uh, he he said there was this analogy, and I think it's a beautiful analogy, one I had heard before, uh, but uh, but one I had forgotten completely. And the analogy is that our lives are kind of like an iceberg. And oftentimes what we deal with is simply this stuff that you can see outside of the water and we never look really at what's underneath, but what's underneath is pretty important and makes up, you know, sometimes a very high percentage of a total of the total iceberg, and we kind of talked, and I added to the analogy, and we were talking just behavior and how we live our lives, and, and, and kind of what we came to is that sometimes, instead of really looking what's underneath the surface, what's under the water, uh, what's beneath everything, we just kind of make an ice sculpture, and we say, well, this is who I am. Look at this. I'll chisel away and kind of refine, and, and you know, we might use our sufferings or our longings or our duties or what others say about us, but we'll just kind of chisel the best we can until we have something kind of presentable that, that we can show to the world. Side note, whenever I think of ice sculptures, I think of the movie Groundhog's Day. Not sure why, but he makes one in there. Irrelevant. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know why that came to my brain. Uh, and, and so we never look at why like Groundhog's Day would come to our minds in the middle of a sermon. You know, we never look deeper and, and think like, why, why do I identify myself this way? And we oftentimes fill in, I am in the, the blank there, with these kind of surface things without asking like, what is deeper? What is beneath the shore? What is, what is below that is making me feel like this is my identity? Like this is who I really am. And Paul is going to get in this passage of scripture, Ephesians 3 is where you can look starting in verses 15 and going through 21. Paul is going to get like right to it and say that there is one thing 
one thing that has to be at the core if you are going to have a true identity in Christ and if all of these other things that that we've talked about over the last several weeks are are going to really be lived out in you and you're going to believe them and you're going to find them and you're going to claim the identity in Christ that, that, that you had when humanity was first created. And here is how Paul begins. He says in Ephesians 3, 15 and 16, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray, dot, dot, dot. Now, I want to point out one thing. Paul says that he kneels before the Father. He's talking about praying, but he says he gets on his knees. And this is kind of another side note that's more relevant and more important, a planned side note. Uh, Sometimes it's good, if you're physically able, to get down on your knees when you pray. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I think we've kind of created this culture in, in America where body position doesn't matter to especially Christian worship, and the Bible doesn't seem to suggest that. And Paul says, like, I, you know, I don't lay in my bed and fall asleep and pray kind of for you, uh, as many American Christians do. Paul says, I get down on my knees and pray. And just kind of personal from me, my perspective When I change my body position, and there's several ways. I mean, sometimes I lay flat on my face, sometimes on my knees, sometimes standing with my arms up. It it changes the dynamic of my prayer. And and so I think that while it's just a side note, Paul's just explaining how he prays and what he does for these people, it's an important thing to think about. Because a lot of times you're like, well, I would pray, but I fall asleep. Get on your knees and try praying. And he says it's for this reason, and this reason points back to the chapter before, chapter 2, and in it, Paul has said, look, You were once Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who were separated from God, who had these old identities, identities that were driven by separation from God and sin and death and hopelessness, and now you have a new identity if, and only if, you place yourself in Christ by becoming a Christian, believing that Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again according to Scripture. And Paul says, because I've told you this, because of this new identity that I'm sharing with you, I kneel before the Father, and we'll get to what he prays in a second, because what he prays, I mean, if, if Paul is like saying, this is what I pray for you, and he's, you know, one of the most influential men ever to live, and it's inspired by God, then it's really important we pay attention, but we'll get to that in a second, because I think it's very important for identities, our identities, that we notice a single word in there, and that word is Father. Paul uses, as do all the New Testament writers, the analogy of father for God. And I think, I believe, that seeing this analogy correctly and understanding it correctly absolutely is essential. It's essential to how you view yourself. You see, the problem is, you can read this a million times and look and say, well, God is father. But if you don't view father correctly and what he means by father, then you're going to have a real hang-up in viewing yourself properly. Donald Miller, who wrote Blue Like Jazz, he has a chapter about this in Blue Like Jazz, but this is just a quote uh, from, from a website. He said, today I wonder why it is God refers to himself as father at all. This to me, in light of the earthly representation of the role, seems a marketing mistake. Why would God want to call himself father when so many fathers abandon their children? See, if you're reading the Bible, you're going through, and you see this idea of a father, and, and your father is somebody that you didn't know, or your father is somebody that you knew and you kind of wish you didn't, or your father was somebody that was around but didn't really pay any attention to you, then you start to see yourself in relation to God in a very similar 
way. J.B. Phillips uh, and Your God is Too Small said this, many psychologists assure us that the trend of the whole of a man's life is largely determined by his attitude in early years towards his parents. Many normal people with happy childhoods behind them may scoff at this, but nevertheless, the clinics and consulting rooms of psychiatrists are thronged with those whose inner lives were distorted in early childhood by their relationship toward their parents. He goes on, but what has this to do with an inadequate conception of God? This that, uh, excuse me, I'm in a little trouble reading. This that at the early conception of God is almost invariably found upon the child's idea of his father. If he is lucky enough to have a good father, this is all to the good, provided, of course, that the conception of God grows with the rest of his personality. But if the child is afraid, or worse still, afraid and feeling guilty that he is afraid of his own father, the chances are that his father in heaven will appear to him a fearful being. Many are not able to outgrow the sense of guilt and fear, and adult years are still obsessed with it, although it actually has nothing to do with their relationship with the living God. It is nothing more than a parental hangover. You see, when we view our dads, we get a glimpse of God, or we think we get a glimpse of God according to this analogy. And sometimes, sometimes, too often in our current culture, it's just wrong. It's bad. And this is something I've preached whole sermons on, but it's important for our identities. And, and here, I, I just think, you, I want you to know that, that it's an analogy. And when Jesus and the gospel writers and the rest of the writers of the New Testament say that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, they are, they are suggesting that God is like the greatest Father that you can think of. And I've told you this, I say this all the time, it seems like, but I have, I have a great dad and I have a couple of great uh, fatherly influences in my life. And I was thinking about this and, and what he means. And, and I remember this I, as a kid. I tell this story a lot, but uh, we, were pretty, we were pretty sports driven. And I remember times in our lives where we would go to the batting cage in Kaiser that doesn't exist anymore. And it was probably like $5 to, to hit at the batting cage or something like that. And then because we didn't have a ton of money, we would go to Taco Bell and we would each have one bean burrito with no onions because you could get that for a dollar. As a kid, it seemed fine and fun. I couldn't even finish a bean burrito. But now that I'm an adult, it's like my dad was eating one bean burrito, one bean burrito for dinner so that I could go hit. And it paid off in the end for me, a nice long athletic career. But think about the love that drives that. That's the type of thing that I think Paul and the gospel writers are getting at. Another one, my grandpa, who's here, over there, right there. Uh, my grandpa, I don't even know if they know this, but my cousins live two houses down from, from my grandpa, and I still think he actually has cookies in the cookie jar all the time so that when my cousins come over, there's cookies there. And my grandpa, he never tells them to have cookies. He doesn't say anything to them about cookies. He just has cookies there because he loves them. He's not a touchy-feely guy. I don't know that he says he loves them, but they know he loves them because, because they've seen his stability in their lives and because they know there's cookies in the cookie jar. And I think that stability and that love and that sacrifice is what Paul is getting at when he says, I kneel before the Father. It's not that you should see yourself unless you have a great dad. In terms of the dad you've had on earth, it's that you should see yourselves in terms of, of how 
a good dad is and say, this is who I am to that person, a child that, that gets love and gets his sacrifice and gets his presence and gets the good things that he has to offer because he loves me and because I'm his child. It's important, I think, for everything that we'll read that Paul doesn't say, for this reason, I kneel before the police officer in heaven, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm scared, because a lot of people see God that way, don't you? I mean, like, he's up there, and he's waiting to arrest you and throw you in eternal prison if you don't do everything you want him to do. And, and, and it's, it's really important that, that we don't see and go, God, he doesn't say, like, I pray, I, I bow on my knees, and I, I pray to some God who might listen to me, you know? He doesn't say, I pray to my alcoholic father in heaven, you know? I mean, he doesn't say those things. He wants you to understand that your identity and who you talk to in heaven, it's all about this father-child relationship in the very best way that you can view it. And, and I know, I know, I'm kind of probably beating a dead horse because even if you've had horrible dad uh, and you, you go, well, I haven't had a good example, you've seen it, right? I mean, you've at least seen it and, and maybe you need to, if you've never like, seen any example of it at all, then turn on a, like a, a, some TV show with a great dad, you know? I mean, you could go to Full House and uh, Bob Seger is great and that is a dad. You know, you can find an example and that, that is the example that you should cling to when you think about God in heaven. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, he continues. Check this out. This is huge. This is what he prays. This is what Paul is praying for Christians. That out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays that out of God's glorious riches, something we talked about last week, we would be strengthened. We talked about God's glorious riches and what they are. They're not the same as the inheritance, heaven, that we have to look forward to. It's the things that we have right now. I, and this is not arrogant, it's not of my own accord, it's not because I'm something better than people who aren't Christians, but I can deal with difficult situations better than people who don't have a relationship with God because God has given me this peace and this joy that I can't explain to you unless you're in Christ. And this is one of the glorious riches. I deal with things and I go, oh, well, this is terrible. But I still have joy and I still have peace even though I absolutely hate this and I'm in tears right now. It's a weird thing to look at, somebody crying and having joy at the same time, but it's something that's really quite profound. It's those types of things that Paul is talking about. I want you to be strengthened by the things that God has promised to bring into your life now if you've stepped into Christ by becoming a Christian. The second part of it's a little funny. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, and uh, if you've grown up around Christians or in the church, or if you've ever just been around Christians for a second, then uh, Christians a lot of times like talk about pray and accept Jesus into your heart. That's how we say it to kids. And so it's kind of a weird sounding thing for, for Paul to pray the way that it's translated in the NIV version of the Bible, because he's talking to Christians who we think Jesus is already in their hearts, that Jesus already came into their hearts. And actually, the language is a little, a little tricky here because the so that 
probably shouldn't actually be translated so that. It was a choice, and it's a choice that makes it difficult for us to understand. It's probably, uh, he's basically saying, and. I hope that you can be strengthened by the glorious riches through the Spirit, and that Christ is dwelling in your hearts. And so the strength only doesn't only come from the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. The strength also comes because Christ dwells inside of us. I've used this analogy a couple of times in this series so far. When we become Christians, the New Testament more often talks about us going into Christ than Christ coming into us. Uh, and, and the way that I've, I've said it is it's like knowing a Canadian versus going to Canada. There's a big difference there, right? And a lot of times we kind of picture, as, if you're a Christian, our relationships with Jesus is like, I know Jesus but really, like, we should picture it as, like, moving into Jesus and finding our whole identities and all of ourselves inside of him and who he is and what he said about us and all of those good things. And Paul here, one of the few times he does this, says something about Jesus being in us. And I think the point, the, the real point, is not that Jesus is going to suddenly come into our lives if we're Christians. If you're not a Christian, get Jesus in your life. But, but if you're a Christian, he's not going to suddenly come into your lives. It's that he being in your life is going to give you strength. Paul is praying that Christ may grow more and more intimately at home in our hearts so that we might come under his full control and blessed dom domination. Uh, the Believer's Bible, Bible Commentary said this, here, it is not a question of his being in the believer, but rather of his feeling at home there. That's pretty good, right? It's not a question of him being in a believer, but his, his feeling at home there. He is a permanent resident in every saved person. But this is a request that he might have full access to every room and closet. Ruth Paxson said this, He has crossed the threshold and been given a place in the life. Yet in some lives, he seems to be far more like a house guest than the sole and rightful owner. This does not satisfy Christ's heart nor fulfill God's purpose. Here's what Paul is saying. I pray that the Holy Spirit and Jesus inside of you will give you strength. And it happens, this is how it happens. It may not be what you like because this is what we say. This is what we say. We say like, if Jesus will just give me strength, then I'll live for him. But, but it seems to be saying here, what Paul seems to be saying is I pray that you'll live for Jesus so that you may have his strength. I pray that you'll let Jesus have his way in you so that you can be strengthened by his glorious riches, the peace, joy, love, acceptance, all the great things that come along with being in Christ. That's huge. If you want to find and really be wrapped up in this new identity, it's not waiting till you've been strengthened. It's saying, I will live for Jesus now, and then I will expect, I will pray, I will hope that God will strengthen me through that. And then this, Paul's about to get right down to it. This is, this is, this is about as influential as anything that he could have said. I mean, this is, this is huge, and so I hope you're paying attention. Uh, if you've just thought this was a terrible sermon, it's going to get better. So pay attention. Stay with me right here. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, he says this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. This is a big deal. Paul says, here's the other thing I pray. I pray that you'll be strengthened as you live for, the, for God. And, and here's the other thing. I pray that you will be both rooted and established in love. 
You see, a lot of times we try to make our identity idols, our items, our duties, others' longings, our sufferings, kind of the foundation. We try to make them things under the iceberg. And we, we don't want to look under there sometimes. We don't want to see what's going on. But Paul says, hey, the thing that should be down there is love, not these other things that you try to shove down there. I have just a, a couple of illustrations here because Paul uses two words that, that actually illustrate themselves quite well. So the first one is rooted, uh, and it's a term that you connect to plants, right, in Greek and in English, actually. And so Paul says, we don't make too much of a mess. Ugh, did pretty good. Paul says that down here, Below the surface, I pray that it is all about love, specifically the love of God. And you can look at this thing, and on the outside, it's okay. It's not the greatest flower batch I've ever seen in my life, but it's decent. And we, I mean, we're so driven by this. If I have a newer car, if I have, you know, the next job, if I have a baby, if some people would like me that don't currently like me, if those people would say nice words about me, you know, my suffering. I mean, we make it all about this. And we kind of, at the end of the day, determine based on our identity idols, am I pretty good or am I pretty bad? Because of what this looks like. And Paul says, wait a minute, we're talking about all this stuff on the outside, but underneath it, at its very core, in the roots I hope, I pray that you'll find the love of Jesus. The other analogy that he uses, established, is a word that, that has its meaning in foundation. And I um, texted my brother-in-law because everything I know about building stuff, I learned because we own church property. Uh, and it's not that much. Everybody that's around knows. Uh, so this is the, he just sent me a picture back of a foundation. Uh, like I said, how can I illustrate a foundation? He sent me a picture. And I'm like, well, I can't bring that house foundation to church. So this is the best I could do. And this is actually from something. Um, so we used it yesterday at the community garage sale in Villebois to entertain children. Uh, but this is, this is part of our backdrop at Fun in the Park that we use for the photo booth. If you've ever seen us out at Fun in the Park. And uh, board goes in here. Board goes in another one over here. Piece of wood. And then we put the fabric up like that. And, and, and it was a problem when we first... A lot of people were really impressed by our creation yesterday at the garage sale. They are like, oh, great idea. I might do that at my kid's birthday, you know. But when my dad and I were trying to create this, there was a major problem. We're like, okay, photo booth, need a backdrop. We can't put anything into the ground at uh, Town Center Park for fun in the park. So there's a big problem because we can't create a foundation and this thing's not going to stand and it's going to fall on a kid and kill them and it's not good publicity for the church. That's kind of how the thing was. And so we're like in lows for like an hour and a half, just like... I don't know what we're going to do, you know, because we realized, we realized that the foundation is, is quintessential to the rest of the structure. And we, in fact, when we put these things up annually, and I did it yesterday, we put our, our shims in here, 
and, and we're like really serious about making sure that the boards are secured to the foundation because the boards aren't standing up by themselves. They're not that balanced. They're not that straight. They're going to tip over. And again, we're going to hurt a kid and it's going to be really bad. And so we spend like way too much time. I mean, you would think you could just put it in there. We spend a ton of time just trying to make sure that the foundation is good. And what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is, is look, your identities need to be rooted and founded in the love of God. I would encourage you to read 1 John. If you want to see just how much Christianity and our identities in Christ are wrapped up in love, go read the book of 1 John. It'll take you like maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I mean, entities like if you don't love people, you're not a Christian. If you don't understand the love of God, you're not a Christian because we are rooted. I mean, our very roots, our very foundation is this thing called love. I'll just read you a couple of verses from it. You can skip these when you're reading it later because I've read them to you. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I mean, we only know what love is because of what Jesus did in 1 John 4, 10. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In a series I did, I don't know, a while back, I defined love this way based on that first verse especially. Love is them above you as their good you pursue because of their value. Love is recognizing the value of a person and saying, I value them. And so then lowering yourself so that they can be blessed and have good things in their life. That's what love is. It's the greatest definition the world has ever known. Uh, and I've looked on the internet. So that is what love is. Them above you is their good you pursue because of their value. And Paul looks at us and says, if you want to really recognize your new identity in Christ, then you must be rooted and established in love. Here's the first part of that. Some people kind of take on the name of Christianity and they're not really Christians. They've never actually experienced the love of Jesus. They've never accepted the love of Jesus. They've never, they've never really taken a hold of what he did on the cross and said, that's gonna be the root, the foundation, the core, the bottom of the iceberg in my life. They're not really Christians. They just kind of want the benefits of Christianity. Yeah, I want a good feeling. I kind of want to hear a pastor say that my old identity was broken and hurt, but I get a new identity. And, and Paul, Paul is like, look, it's not going to work unless you become a Christian and you find a new foundation and you, you take on new roots. And, and, and if you're a Christian already, some of us, we try to make a foundation out of, out of things that are no good at all. We try to build a foundation that is, that is out of other things for some reason that I'm not sure because love is the greatest foundation for an identity that, that we could imagine. Jesus tells this story uh, that, that he applies in a totally different way, but it's a story that's famous. He talks about a, a wise man and an unwise man, and one builds their house upon the sand, and when the wind comes and the storm comes, the house falls down. I think there's a song. Uh, and, and the other guy builds his house upon the rock, and, and when the wind and the waves come, the house is okay. It's a great parable. It's one of my favorites. It's one of the best when you're a kid. Uh, it's a beautiful illustration of what it means to build your life on, on Jesus and how much better that is. But so many of us as Christians, we want all the stuff that Jesus gives us, and we start to build this house and this new identity, but our roots are poisoned, and our foundation is cracked. And we need to start again and say, I'm going to get back to the very basics. You see, a lot of Christians, they try to build their foundation on a, on a set of rules. Like, I'll just do all this right stuff, and, and then 
You know, that'll be my foundation. A lot of people, a lot of Christians in modern day America, they build the kind of the foundation of Christianity on going to church. You're a Christian? I, yeah, I go to church, you know, and that's kind of the foundation. We'll talk about church before we'll talk about the love of Jesus because that's our foundation. A lot of Christians, you know, they build their foundation kind of with Jesus, but, but as they're laying the cement, they want to get a few other things in there, some of those idols, and make sure that they can hold on to that. But, and here, this, is, this is the scary part. This is the scary part of this, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. What may need to happen in your life is that you may need to get rid of the roots that you already have. You may need to break the foundation. You may need to start again. And that, that hurts. It's not a very easy thing to do. Even when I was just getting this little flower out of this pot this morning so that I didn't make too much of a mess on stage, you, the roots clung. They clung to that pot. They didn't want to come out. And sometimes when we think about replacing an old set of roots or an old foundation, it's like it's going to hurt. It's going to take some work and some effort and some doing. And parts of me might get left behind, parts I thought I liked. But I'm telling you that you'll never have a great identity. You'll never be able to fill in that I am statement with anything great unless you have the roots and the foundation that is the love of Jesus. And here's, here's what Paul says next. He, he continues. He wants, you to, he wants you to go, hey, wait, at the very core, underneath the water, in the roots, at the foundation, when you fill in that I am statement, it's I am loved. And he says, he says to them, on top of this, he says, I hope that you're rooted and founded in love so that you may more fully grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If your roots and your foundation are bad, then you'll never be able to experience the love of God the way that God wants you to experience his love. Love is both the source and the goal, one author said. Love is both the source and the goal. You have to have your roots and your foundation in the love of God, and then you build upon that, and you build with the love of God. Listen to these verses, because I, I can't just get up here in one sermon and just like say everything there is to say about the love of God, because it's pretty incredible. But listen to these verses. Just a few. John 3, 16, you've heard this one probably. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 8, 37 through 39. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither... Death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is love that needs to be at the foundation of our souls. Paul adds a third thing to this prayer, and it's, inc it's an incredible thing. It's an oxymoron, really. He says, I pray that you will know how unknowable God's love is. That's what he says. That's a, that's a great line, isn't it? I wish I would have come up with it. He says, I, I pray that you will know how, great, how unknowable God's love is for you. It's unfathomable. It's unknowable. It is beyond understanding. 
Paul looks at you and he, I mean, he's written a whole bunch, a whole bunch about the love of God and the books that he wrote that if most of are in the New Testament for us. He writes a whole bunch about the love of God. And here he says, like, here's my biggest prayer for you Christian people. And for you non-Christians, I hope you get to a place where you're Christian so that I can even pray this for you. I hope that you'll realize that God's great love is so incredible that you can't even know it. That it's beyond your understanding. You go, well, does he love me as much as my dad loves me? No, because you can understand that. Does he love me as high as a mountain? No, because you can understand that. I mean, does he love me as much as my dog loves me? That's tough. No, he loves you more than that. I mean, God's love is truly unknowable. And so many of us in this room, we view God's love and we think we can shove it into a box and we get it and we wrap it up in how we view our dads or how we view our friends or what we think about love in a romantic way sometimes. And and we're like, well, this is what God's love is like. And Paul's like, well, no, it's beyond that. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. And I hope that you will come to a place where you will know how unknowable it is how high and long and deep and wide it is as you find your roots and your foundation in love. And then he says, and then he says this really important thing, and this is the last thing that we're going to look at that he says. He says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ultimately, if we're rooted in God's love and begin to more fully understand God's love and how unknowable it is, then we will find our fulfillment in serving God. I mean, some of you, this is the reality. Some of you don't live for Jesus because you think like, well, I'm pretty happy with my life and I'll have to give up so much. And Paul is like, you want to find fulfillment. Here it is. Get rooted in love. Start to think about how, God, how great God's love is, how unknowable it is, and then serve him. And then you'll find that fulfillment that every person wants. I mean, I just, I'm blown away at how many people I know and that I encounter that chase this thing called fulfillment. They just want to feel fulfilled. They want peace. They want to like feel some level of satisfaction with who they are, not what's going on, but who they are, and they chase it, and they go from one thing to another to another to another to another to another, and everything leaves them broken and hurting. And Paul says, here is how you find the fulfillment you're looking for. You get rooted and founded in God's love, and then you start to understand Understand it more and more until you understand how unknowable it is. And after that, you'll serve him and you will find the fulfillment that you have longed for for so long. Man, we have it all backwards. I'm fulfilled. I don't need Jesus. No, you're not fulfilled. You're a liar. This finding your identity in a bunch of stuff that eventually will crumble. That's what's going to happen. I know people. I'm not, I'm, I don't know if this is true of you and if it sounds harsh, it's because I'm preaching to people who aren't here right now. I'm preaching to people that I pray will listen to this online that are going from one thing to another to another and they've done it for their whole lives and they've never found the satisfaction they're looking for. And Paul says, here's how you get it. You get rooted and founded in the love of Jesus because he died for your sins. I mean, there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for his friends, and he did that for you, even though you deserve nothing, and you were his enemy, the Bible says elsewhere. He died for you, and he sits in heaven, and he fights for you. It's incredible. Bible.net said this, anything that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's love also keeps us from being filled with the fullness of God. Let me read that again. Anything that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's love also keeps us from being filled with all the fullness 
of God, you will never be satisfied until you remove the barriers, the idols, the obstacles that stand in the way of you being rooted and founded in the love of Jesus and growing an understanding of that love until you know how unknowable it truly is. You must find the root of your identity and love. And once you have, you must work. You must work. This takes work to grasp more fully the love God has for you. And when it happens, you'll find your fulfillment in serving him and not these idols that always, and you already know this, this is not new information, these idols, your, your items and your duties and others and your longings and your sufferings, they all leave you hurting eventually. You know that. They always do. You'll never find your satisfaction in them. You need to be rooted and established in God's love. And you need to strive to more fully understand God's love. And then if you're in Christ and your identities are rooted and established in love, you will find satisfaction. Paul gets to the end of this, and if you're reading it in, in Greek, the, the language of it suggests, I mean, we can't hear tone of voice, but the language suggests that Paul, as he's writing this even, is just getting more and more excited. It's building to a crescendo, and so I want to end where he ends with this doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your love and I pray that every person who sits in front of me and every person who will listen online will find their roots and their foundation in you, Jesus. There is no other thing that can fulfill us. There is no other iceberg that won't melt away. There is no other foundation that won't crumble. There is no other roots that won't dry up, Lord. And so I pray first, God, for non-Christians that just they'll never find it. They'll never find the satisfaction that they want and their identities will always suck, Lord. I pray that you would help them to be rooted and established in your love because they will recognize and believe that you died for their sins and they will give their lives to you, Jesus. And I pray for those of us who are Christians, even if we need to tear up roots and break foundations, that we would find our foundation in your love and that we would build upon it, understanding eventually just how unknowable your amazing, wonderful love is. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us and all the ways that you show your love to us. Thank you for loving us, despite us. Pray these things in your name. Amen.